Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned to your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app, and we hope you know you can always find us, too, on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And you can watch good things. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. And today, we're saying a welcome back to one of our guests today. We've got writer Eileen St. Lauren. She was with us back in fall of 2022 with her book, Good Life Mississippi, which is now a finalist in the 14th Annual International Book Awards and has sold in 10 countries. And she's got her new book out, which she's here to share more about. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Rebecca and South Mississippi. It's so good to be back with you. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. And I'm very surprised myself. I'm I'm very glad, but I'm very surprised. (laughs) Thank you. Well, obviously the work spoke for itself, and so that was Good Life uh, Mississippi. When will you find out? uh, I know you're a finalist in the 14th Annual International Book Awards uh, for 2023. When when do those come out? The um, when will you know the? I guess how the outcome is. Uh, I don't know, but I was invited today um, soon. I know soon. I was invited today to submit a screenplay. Ah, (laughs) Which we told you here on Good Things that I told you it could have been a book. And so you would have to be. So this is your, I guess, preliminary like announcement that you could have some good news uh, about Good Life Mississippi uh, in the future. Yeah. You said, would you promise me you'll come back? And uh, I said, sure. And uh, I have always wanted to do a screen. Well, I actually have a screenplay. I write a screenplay for everything I write, if I can. But I went back and found it in my files. But uh, I'm very happy and excited. And and after the end of um, next month, January 2024, I'm going to start elevator pitching to producers and TV series people. Well, we'll keep a uh, opportunity open for you anytime you get that good news. But you've also got another good book out. You've got, is this your second novel, Miss Eileen, or is this just your latest novel? It's my second novel. It's uh, called Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, and it was, is actually nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction. Uh, and that, those awards will be given out, um, in May of 2024, which <laughs> just to have my name there is fine with me. I would be, I, I don't even know. It was, it's just really wonderful to be nominated and humbling and, and stuff. And it's, it's a good book, I have to say, if I do say so myself. 
and, and it's unique because uh, I tend to write about real-life people, you know, in my work. And uh, William Faulkner's one of the characters, and it's set in 1961 in December. And it's uh, sort of it's a dark, hilariously sad Christmas story. And um, it's a wonderful book. I can tell you a little bit about it. Please do. Um, Eleanor Franklin is turning 88 on Christmas Day. And party guests include a cat and a tailored Christmas coat named Julius Caesar. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Each next book, yeah. you have to say you have to name the cat Porch Cat because that's Rhino's cat, his dearest friend, his Porch Cat, uh-huh. his his uh, great fur baby. So we'll have to give a nod uh-huh. to him if you ever have another one in a in a story. Oh, okay? I write about animals. I'll have to get the right spelling of that correct spelling. I can actually do that. I, I, my next book, well, the book. Well, I got so much going on, but an, another book is all about animals, actually. <laughs> and so I do have a cat in there, and and that bunch of dogs, and in, in my book in the spring. But I'm holding on to it till I see what happens. Well, I interrupted you, Miss Eileen. So let's I'm get sorry. back to the, no, I did that. Let's get back to your cute cat in a tuxedo because that that in itself is worth picking up the book for. Yeah, he's in a tailored coat, and um, Julius Caesar, and a ghost of a civil from the Civil War. An eccentric caretaker who is a Holocaust survivor, and William Faulkner himself, and uh, they live in Fable Court, which is a fictitious house down the street from William Faulkner's Rowan Oak, his longtime home, which is now located on the University of Mississippi campus. And the span, the story spans, but is not all about. I'm just saying it, it spans a hundred years from. 1861 to 1961, but it's not deep, you know. It is deep, but not like, oh, all this stuff is happening. But, you know, it's uh, easy to read. It moves very, very fast. You can read it in three hours if you want to. And um, because I have neighbors that are in their 80s that read it in three hours, and uh, that's why I say that. So the house is hidden among typical tree-shaded antebellum homes, uh, southern homes, of course, and the facade of a small town peacefulness are t- amid that is tormented souls and a 25-year-old secret to which only one of these troubled characters is privy. So you know how people get together at Christmas and stuff comes out. Either they have knock-down drag-outs or they get along. <laughs> or they get a little liquid courage and they finally tell, start telling the family secrets because one may have passed on yeah. and they start letting out Aunt Betty's you know, deepest, darkest yeah, yeah. And Faulkner gets drunk and de- de- decorates the tree. He drinks the whole, he drinks more than a bottle of scotch, actually, because he likes scotch a lot and he talks and he's, he's so funny. And, uh, <laughs> and so, anyway, the unexplainable and the supernatural impact of peace, a place, I'm sorry, and spirit of the people control the events in this book. So it's supernatural things going on. And it's dark and hilariously sad, as I said earlier which means you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll laugh, you'll cry. You'll say, give me the Kleenex. It's, oh, my God, that's so funny, you know, kind of thing, you know. Uh-huh. And um, all these haunted characters, the, the the bottom line of this is something. Uh, I mentioned Hemingway. He's a little bit in there, too, and um, because her husband was a professor at the um, University of Mississippi in his time, and he knew Hemingway when he traveled to Africa. So um, I mentioned him, but the, the plot of the story or the moral, you know, the message is, quote, 
truth can stand alone in any light, but more so amid the southern light. And and I actually wrote that. I believe that because in the South, when I go there and when I've lived there much of my life, there's a certain way that southern light, you can look at it, and when it shines a certain way on anything, you can feel the mystique and the magic and the supernatural of the deep south. At least I can. You know, I can look at that light, the way the sun hits something, and my imagination just starts. And I can just write, write, write. And so I believe there's a lot of truth, and it can stand alone in, in any light, but more so in the south. I think we would agree with that, Eileen's particularly would say our Delta sunrises and sunsets, our Mississippi Gulf Coast sunrises and sunsets for sure, and everywhere in between. But I think we all have that nook or cranny in our home around that right time of day, somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock, depending on the on the time of year where it is. It's like the sun hits just right and sort of beams in on things, and it just it gives it a different... I guess a different vibe is, I guess, a good way to sort of say it. So Southern Light in the title is you're actually talking about sunlight or the Southern sort of sun that sort of plays out in the book. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And the cover is a picture that we took uh, from a window in the house we had in Madison, Mississippi, when the sun was going down. And um, I... I worked with that and put Mississippi trees with it. Those trees are for Mississippi, and that's the southern light going down. I wanted that like that. And the back, is, as you can see in the book, where it's orange, sort of peachy, orangey, that's part of that sunset going down, you know, setting the sun setting in Mississippi. And um, the name of the book was Southern Light to begin with. It was actually a screenplay to begin with, my first one in college years ago, and I flipped it into this novel myself here after I'd lost my sight and had an accident and stuff, and I regained partial sight now, but not full sight. And so I decided to put comma Oxford, Mississippi, because it's set in Oxford, and I thought, you know, more people might relate to it. And, you know, my mentors call me the daughter of Faulkner, which I find funny, but um, I don't really know why. But I just read his novels like in one day and wrote the paper the next and finished the course in the third day instead of nine weeks. So I got Faulkner, but I said, you know, he was drunk when he wrote this stuff anyway. You know, I mean, that's what I told him. And and so um, they coined that phrase for me and said, you know, that I was like Faulkner. So I decided to read about him and I included him as a character in the book and it's very believable, and I actually believe it. It's mostly dialogue, and that the reason for that is, is you can hear the voices when you read it in your head. Well, Miss Eileen, we want to hear more about this conversation, so we're going to press pause, take a break. we got more with sure. Miss Eileen Lauren coming up next. Making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. Welcome back to Good Things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Supertalk Mississippi app. You can always find us, too, on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. And if you're looking for something holiday-ish to read over the long weekend, maybe you got that coming up, then think about our guest, Miss Eileen St. Lawrence's new novel, Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi, which is set around the holiday time. Miss Eileen, did you know that it would come out around the holidays? Was that intentional for it to be, you know, in time for the holidays? Or is that just when you were inspired to write it was around the ho- around the holiday festivities? Yes. Um, at first I didn't. I had planned to uh, release the book that's coming out January 2nd, but something fell uh, different on the copyright, so I had to release this one. So it worked out. It's just going to have so many books together, but I, I went ahead and let it go. It can be read any time of the year, though. You know, it can be. And it's not strictly Merry Christmas story. You know what I mean? Is it kind of like Die Hard? Um, is it like not a Christmas movie, but is a Christmas movie, but you can watch it any time in the year? Uh, yeah. I think so. I think so. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the first sentence, but that was the last thing that I wrote. I just I wanted to do something that uh, a lot of people do, and especially as a Southerner, I wanted to write a long sentence. Well, you wrote so one. Wrote 357 <laughs> word opening sentence. But this is the last sentence she wrote, though. So you completed the book, yeah. Miss Eileen, and then you came back and opened the book, which I think is really cool. Was that intentional or did it just come to you after? It came to me after I had another accident <laughs> um, and, and lost my left elbow. And uh, I was stuck here for a few years. And I said, I really need to do something to stand out. You know what I mean? And I said, what can I do? I said, well, I've always written long sentences and thought with people about them. So I'm going to sit down and write a long sentence about this book. So only I could have written this. You know what I mean? Because it's my book. And so I, I wrote it, sent it to one of my mentors and who always gave me a hard time about my 149-word sentences. And I said, don't mess it up. commas <laughs> and semicolons and leave my dashes. And so she made it perfect, and her husband looked at it, too. And so I know it's a perfect sentence, so um, I'm happy with it. I mean, I couldn't hit Faulkner's 1500 one, and other people have. I think his was 1500, and um, Fitzgerald wrote long sentences and other people. But I'm proud of 357 words, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. I think you're okay, especially <laughs> when it makes sense and it sort of flows. You definitely have an yeah. affection for William Faulkner. D- does it ever yeah. feel odd writing about, you know, you oftentimes choose to write about real people, uh, Miss Eileen. Do you ever, I mean, does that ever feel odd? Like maybe somebody may read it and, you know, get the wrong sense or I don't know. Is there any pressure that comes with that? I think is what I'm trying to ask. I don't think so because um, I feel a kinship to these people and, they actually um, believe it, and <laughs> I, I don't really, you know. I mean, I don't say anything that's not true. When I actually write about people, I usually say exactly, I put their own words back in their mouth in a way, you know what I mean? Like one of Faulkner's favorite words was a certain word I'm not going to repeat, but um, I, I, I just, it just works for me. You know, I feel like writing is my calling. It just so happens I was answered it later in life but everything that I did up until this point has prepared me to go to the next level of wherever I'm going you know 
and sometimes when I get in a big hurry and I think, oh, I want to do this screenplay, I want to have a Netflix, or I see where the crawdads sing, and I say, I can do that. I call my husband. I'm in there screaming at the TV, and I said, I can do that. My book is just as good as that. And he says, well, do it. I said, I'm trying. You know, and <laughs> when, when I get in a big hurry, I think, well, I'm just not ready yet. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not ready. And when I'm ready, then I think it'll work out better for me in, in all angles, in all areas. And, you know, like a deck of cards, when you fold them and you can shuffle them into place, they just fit together. I'm hoping, uh, you know, that that works out for me. And if it doesn't, you know what? I gave it my best shot. You at least tried. Absolutely. There is that. There is no shame in making your pitches and trying. And even if, you know, I think, you know, if you feel like it's your passion, you're calling to write, Miss Eileen, everybody thinks they should have an award-winning uh, book or it has to be sold in the 10 different countries like uh, Good Life Mississippi was to be considered a success. But if it just brought you joy and it just got something in your head or heart onto paper, even if nobody else ever reads it, that can be success also because you wrote for a long time right before you ever were published or made it your career. I did. I did. I've written for a long time, but I've also been a reporter, a news writer, a feature writer, a camera operator, and I've done everything, a lot of things in the media. But I want to reach others, and my books have deeper meaning, and I hope that it teaches people how not to treat people. I have an affiliation and a connection to the downtrodden and uh, compassion, and I tend to write about those people, you know. And, um, like, I write about this Holocaust survivor, and he tells his secret. And it just, I cry when they tell their stories. When I'm writing, and I cry. And someone asked me, you know, why you write a Christmas story? I said, because I'm a writer, and I'm usually by myself at Christmas. And um, so I, I tend to write about, I mean, all my books are on a holiday. You'll see what I was doing on the 4th of July, you know. Or on Christmas, because if it's set during that time, that means I was writing, you know. So I wrote about all these Christmas dinners and stuff, and I put all the food out, and I don't have that, you know. Well, what they eat for Christmas? Can you share that? Huh? What did they eat in Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi? What's on the What's oh, on the honey, Southern they never Christmas? Get to Christmas, I can tell you that. Oh, they no. got it ready, but they never make it. <laughs> That's where the um. Some people call it a Hitchcockian twist, which I think is a good idea. That's probably true. I think that's a compliment. Um, But they don't quite make it to Christmas, but they make it to Christmas Eve. They make it past midnight. But um, Well, now you got me interested, Miss Eileen, which I think is the whole sort of uh, point of it, too. Are your novels, do they ever get turned into audiobooks, or are they all just paper um, hard copy? I prefer hard because I want it, um, I just prefer that, you know. So I don't want to paperback. The writing's too small, and a lot of older people can't read it. And since I'm partially visually disadvantaged, I, I tend to want lot different print, you know. So I prefer, hard, I prefer hard copy, and my novels are not that expensive. A lot of, you know, it's, quite frankly, you know, this book's only nineteen ninety nine. And some people would have charged $35, $40 for it. But I said, I just want people to be able to afford it in like a $20 bill for Christmas. I always think and I always feel really bad that people have to buy. You know, I feel so bad because of that. And uh, because I come from rural Mississippi and we live week to week, but we got, we were, we got by and we were fine. 
However, you know, we, um, I have compassion for people. I know it's hard, and I never, ever forget where I came from, no matter what. And I love my people, and people have always made fun of me out of Mississippi, and I've lived a lot of places. I've lived in New England and, and Northampton and everywhere, and they always say, oh, don't worry, honey, you'll lose that accent. I said, I hope not. Nah. I'm proud I'm from Mississippi. And that's from Petal, yeah. Mississippi, correct? Yeah, I'm from Petal. It was a two red light town till it got Walmart and got three. I was just going to say, it's, it's booming. It's, been, it's a little, it's a little bigger, a little busier than, little than maybe, now. than maybe that now, but it's still charming and quaint there in the Pine Belt for mm-hmm. sure. Where can folks get your books, Miss Eileen? Either Good, uh, um, Good Life Mississippi or Southern Light Oxford, Mississippi. They can order it, of course, from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or their independent bookstore. It's going to be the same for anybody, whether they order it from independent or not. People think that they're helping a bookstore, but they get. I give them the same discount as I give Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble, actually. So nobody really. The publisher is the one who gets the most money, quite frankly. So anywhere they want, they. But Amazon is, is a good place, and Barnes and Noble is a good place. And the book was a bestseller. Before it was published, which was phenomenal, well, con- I just kept looking and looking from the publisher, and I said, something's wrong. Nah. You know, I just couldn't figure it out. It said, we predict your book's going to be a bestseller. And I said, it can't be. It's not, you know, but libraries and bookstores were buying this book before it was actually published, and it hit bestseller in my category, which was fiction, gothic. Uh, and um, I was just stunned. Absolutely. I was shocked is the word. I mean, I fell out of my chair. And that's just so wonderful. It is wonderful. You chased a dream, Miss Eileen. You chased that southern light right to the top. Now, you're going to have to, again, whenever we get the get the um, confirmation that there's going to be a a movie made out of either one of them, you got to let us know. Okay. Now, it takes a long time, you know that, right? And well, I ain't going nowhere, so you call you to George Clooney. You know George Clooney. I don't know George Clooney. I haven't met him, but he has nice hair. I don't know him, but I know of him. You know, everybody seems to love George Clooney. I mean, he's okay. He's not my type. <laughs> Miss Eileen, you keep with us, and you have a Merry Christmas, and congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. All right, you guys stick with us. we got more for you up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget we are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. Of course, you can stream us, too, from your Supertalk Mississippi app. And you can always find us, too, on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. But a Mississippi Christmas with Steve Azar is starting 
on Christmas Eve, twelve twenty-four at one p.m. Santa will be working around the clock this Christmas, and he'll be listening to Super Talk. Of course, he will tell your children that. A Mississippi Christmas with Steve Azar returns here on Super Talk Mississippi again. Coming up, I guess that would be Sunday at one p.m. Steve will play hours and hours of Christmas classic tunes from Mississippi artists, and even a couple of holiday tunes from his guitar. A Mississippi Christmas with Steve Azar is brought to you by the Farm Families of Mississippi. And yeah, so even if you're usually not a super taught listener on the weekend, I get that. But if you're out and making those um, runs to your in-laws or outlaws or wherever it may be, turn it on. You can get a little talk, get a little music, have a little fun um, and learn something new. I like all of the Mississippi artists Christmas. They don't get a whole lot of play like they um like they should. You're not going to hear share, but you have to turn in here and only have one more day possibly to even remotely hear that. I mean, yes, I could stream it on myself, but who would want to do that? Nobody. So I'm relying on Rhino to give me one Unless more. I bring back the tradition of Wednesday's worst music and do it on good things. <laughs> But today's Thursday. Y'all, this has felt like one long Friday. This has been the Friday's week I have ever had in my entire life. I am adoring all the memes going around social media about how how dare you ask me to do a task on December the 19th. It's basically Christmas morning or all the other sort of things that just says folks are just checked out. We're just ready for the holiday for most uh, students. They're either out or today or tomorrow is definitely their last day. And so you've already got kids at home or whatever they're doing. And so it's just this weird time and space where, you know, going through the motions, but you definitely have holiday itis for sure. And you're just a whole ready. lot of that sounds like a job for next year. Going <laughs> and don't get us started about next week because we'll be here with you. But it's that weird week where it feels like nothing. There's no rules. Nothing really exists between Christmas and New Year's Day. And you just feel kind of like out of body experience going through the motions with with that particular week. Um, but you may be. Still trying to figure out how to wrap up your Christmas gifts or, or your Christmas list. I would say shame on you, but also there's still time. You basically, and I know many of you probably dudes are thinking, I've got a whole weekend day before like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if you're putting it off until doing your shopping tomorrow or Saturday. But I want to talk about those gifts that are handmade that you look forward to every year. Apparently, they're getting more popular. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of pe- a lot of um, interest in Mississippi uh, making gifts for themselves or, th- or to give out. Past just the good old cookies, fudge, millionaires, checks mix, all those all the likings of that which is what goes around in Insert our family. Whatever name you call checks mix covered in peanut butter, chocolate and powdered sugar. Correct. Um we call it's it It's got about 15 different names. Nuts and bolts, so it's not the sweet version of that. It's the savory version where you got Worcestershire, 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 Worcestershire. Well, whatever. The Worcester sauce. The Worcester sauce, the Tabasco sauce. It's going to give you gas, but you're going to enjoy it. Um, it's the spicier version of, of that for sure. I just had a good old handful of some kind of bark, chocolate bark in, in the break room here at the office. But like other things that aren't edible. We've been spoiled this week with, with snacks here in the office. Um, what do you mean? 
I mean, there's been cakes, there have been donuts, there have been there's been divinity, there's been cookies, there's been nuts and bolts. I mean, pretty much every time I walked in the break room, it's like there's something new. There's something new for me to eat and give and try. Yeah, that's well. If you're having party, because you know. Christmas really starts at the beginning of December for families who have multiple things to coordinate. And so if you've got gatherings and then you want to get rid of said things at your house, you don't want it to go to waste. You bring it to, you know, work or whatever it may be. And then some of you actually have organized gatherings at your jobs and they can do that, too. You want to know one of the most simple, underestimated concoctions around this time. And they do it for Halloween, too. It's taken the... The pretzel, a salted pretzel. Right. And then you melt the Hershey Kiss on it. And then you have like the M&M or whatever you want to put on top. Or you can get really bougie from there. They're festive. But that combination of the salted pretzel with just the bite. With a kiss or a Rolo? Either. I've seen it done with the Rolo and that's amazing. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. Either one or both. All of it. To me, it's so simple because you just lay them out on a parchment sheet and then you just stick them in the oven and they melt and then you have to let them cool. But there's like no – there's really no effort. It's not hard to do. Yeah, you just stack up the ingredients and let the oven do the work. But you can eat them like popcorn in my opinion. That's good. Um, But I'm digressing. We're in the the edibles. (laughs) Don't – you know, those maybe – hey, (laughs) if you got a right card. To each their own. (laughs) To each their own. Okay, so apparently folks are trying to figure out how to make soap. Like, more people are making homemade soaps to be given as gifts than ever before, as well as candles. For some reason, I feel like candles would be easier than soap. Because with a candle, it's really just the container, the wax, and the wick. I feel like there's there's a little bit of chemical alchemy involved in getting a soap to actually be a good soap i don't know and not just a brightly colored bar that sits on the counter in the bathroom true and i'm funny about smells for either candles or so okay so usually if you get a candle and you may be you may be different because there are good candles but then there are also placeholder candles meaning i i didn't know you i didn't know what to get you so everybody gets a candle or, you know, everybody you give anybody can get a candle, can use a candle. So I'm trying to say, or I didn't know you were coming. And so this is from the closet. This is the candle. This is the gift. So you don't feel like you didn't get a gift. Right. And so maybe if it's an actual homemade candle, you're a little more excited when you open up the candle. Oh, yeah. Then if it's just you undo all the paper and it's like, oh, yay, a candle. Now, if you do get one from the Laurel, Laurel Mercantile, Mercantile, those folks in Laurel, Mississippi, from the Scent Library, that would be an exciting thing. Those are pretty cool candles. So there are some that rank differently um, in that way. But but for the most part, a $10 candle from the Walgreens is not going to get someone super excited on Christmas. But if you made it, there's a story behind it. Yeah. And the, the chance is the, the wig will probably will be a little wonky, and that'd be a lot of fun. What about ornaments? My, I have a whole shoebox full of the kids. So this time of year, especially with the littles, Neely's slightly aging out of this, which which makes me incredibly sad. She's 11. 
but EJ's still four. So every year I'm getting multiple homemade ornaments that's got the little um, paper clip for the oh, yeah. the hanger, and those are my prized possessions. But how would you feel about like a gift? A homemade ornament as a gift. I mean, it's I not received like homemade ornaments, ornaments did, as a gift you? from Neely for my first Christmas tree last year. That is year. true. Okay. They make up the majority of my Christmas ornaments. But they were from children. I didn't make them for you. I had them laminated. They didn't do that part. But they were made with love and care. <laughs> they were. Absolutely. That is that is true. That is really neat. So you could do snow globes, too. Um, but soaps are still taking the, the top on a national level. So you got a weekend left. Do they make kits for that? Oh, I'm sure they do. I mean, it, it might not be one of those kind of kits where you just go to Walmart and find it on the shelf, but I'm sure you can find them online. Might be a little late to do it now, but So instead, I just go year. shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond. Donald in Oxford, I make candles from wax I got from my beehives. It ain't easy. That's well, cool, though. Like, that's cool. Like, if you told me this candle came from... A beehive that you made. That would be that would be really neat. And then someone mentioned can't go wrong with Nandy's candy. Everyone loves it. Yep. If you're in the central area, you still haven't figured out something to give, and they like chocolate or goodies, goodies, goodies. Yeah, you, chocolate covered strawberries. Are the you way just you walk go. in there and just say, "Hey, here's a twenty dollar bill. Fill me up with something," and that will be the best, best, most delicious gift. You may want to give them more money just so you can spend more time in there for the smell. Yes, it's absolutely amazing um, in there. That's where you know the difference between okay chocolate and, like, real good kind of chocolate. Oh, yeah. But Mike and Corrin said white chocolate. So, But, but the white, so is that a, because Hershey comes in white chocolate. or is it Kind of. Kind of. Or is it just a I've white? I've never seen a pure white chocolate Hershey's bar. You got, like, the, is it Symphony by Hershey's? And I'm then you've got the, the cookies kiss. and cream. Like the kiss. Do they make just a pure white chocolate kiss, or is it a stripy one? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't be asking. They have one with mint in it, which is no, it's not your thing. Don't so really that, care for mint. That's not why you don't care for that. But we'll figure it out. We got more for you up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you might even say it glows. And all of the other reindeer (laughs) used to laugh and call him names. They never let he taught me card, But you can't hear it and not add in the the ad lib. And when you're trying to teach your kids how to sing or when they learn the original Rudolph and they start singing it back to you and then you start throwing in those extras that just kind of come with time, they look at you like, huh? And then like, no. Those aren't the words. Those aren't the words. You're messing me up. What are we doing? I'm like, no, that is part of it. 
you just don't know it yet. It's kind of like happy birthday, too, when people add in the the sort of um, extras there. Well, welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget, to our Super Talk Mississippi News team is covering your Mississippi stories. If you want to stay up to date, you can do that over at supertalk.fm slash newsletter. So as we were talking about the homemade gifts, that would be a terrible thing to regift, but it is National Regifting Day. Are you for it, against it in certain scenarios? Where's that at on your list? I mean, I'm not entirely against it, but I I save regifting for those gifts that I feel were given to me out of obligation and not out of, of love or care. Like if if somebody's like, "Here's your present," and like they it's a ten dollar candle and they from didn't Walgreens. put any thought into no it, and they just felt obligated to to get me something that may wind up in the regifting pile. But then again, I'm kind of greedy with gifts like i I don't want to give away something that was given to me i it totally depends i feel that way um if i feel like whoever gifted it to me is going to look for it like when they come over for me to either use it wear it have it out then absolutely not i would never i would never want to do that but i am one who thinks that things should be appreciated and have an opportunity to bring joy. So if you do get gifted things that don't bring you joy, that was out of obligation, but could fill a need or a void that you have for a gift, then go for it. This is less as you get to like our age sort of regifting, much more, I'm much more into regifting with, well, now, the oldest one's a little stranger, but young kids, when they have all the toys coming through and they go to all the birthday parties and they're doing all the things, as long as you're just making sure you're not regifting the same person who gave it back to you, I think the parents are pretty cool with just showing, as long as you're showing up with something that's not open and hadn't been used, I think everybody's under the same scenario of like, that's good because some kids, if you invite a lot, some parents will like, They'll give what – and sometimes you get two of things. They'll give a certain amount, and then they'll put a little bit back because, like, kids just don't need that much. And so – and then you're able to sort of manipulate it around. It does take effort, and you should do it with caution and care. I would say a good rule of thumb for regifting is if, if someone gives you something, and when you see it, your first thought is a friend or family member or a loved one that, that you think, wow, they would really like this. Yes, if, if your first thought is not, gee, thanks, that's awesome, I love this, it's, wow, I know somebody that would really enjoy this, then maybe that's a gift to re-gift. Do you tell them? No. So you do keep it like, this is from me. Sometimes, it depends. It depends on the person. There are times I'm like, hey, I got this. It's just not my, you know, but you would really love it because it takes away. Because then if they're like, wow, this is amazing. You really thought of me. Yes, technically, I thought of you. I guess it's you. kind of a live omission because it's like, yeah, I saw this and thought of you. <laughs> not that I saw it at the store so and thought, thought of you. <laughs> I saw it in my presence and thought of you and thought <laughs> I would pass it on to you. Um, I don't know. I mean, some folks are real weird about it. I just think you have to. I don't think there's any shame in it, particularly to like all of the um Dirty Santa, White Elephant, all these gifts, like all these parties you may have gone to and gotten these like random, decent gift thingy-mabobs, but nobody really bought it with you in mind. But, you know, you know that somebody that's coming to your home, it would be a good fit for. Right. I think that's a that's a really great way of like re-gifting and, and using in that in that sense. I hate to see things just be put in the closet and never be used because it just wasn't 
a good fit for you. But I just think there's a there's a tactful way. Like this is not an example. I'm not throwing anybody under a bus. This is just hypothetical. But say, for example, why well, I feel if, like I'm gonna get my feelings hurt. No, <laughs> if someone gives you a set of hot sauces and you get really bad heartburn, yes. but you have a friend that cannot find a hot sauce hot enough for them, that might be an, an example of oh, thanks. I know exactly who's gonna get this. So what you're telling me is spicy things give you heartburn? No, that's why I said it's. It's all hypothetical. Okay. I love hot sauces. Just keep them making sure I know what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then you start to wonder, huh, have I been regifted too? But it was under the same circumstances and I enjoyed it. I don't think it matters. No. No. Because it's, it's the thought that counts. It is the thought that counts for sure. I will take that homemade jalapeno bacon and pecan cheese ball that Debbie from Ocean Springs just showed us in a heartbeat with some club crackers and a sweet tea. Well, diet sweet or unsweet tea, but still. There is just something special about a homemade cheese ball. Absolutely. It looks weird as all get out, but I'm going to dive into it every time but you guys stick with us we got more for you coming up next you got the boys with uh, sports talk mississippi from three to six rhino and i'll meet you back here tomorrow at two but until then i hope you all find time for the good things Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.